Hello and welcome to Immigrantly, your go-to podcast for unfiltered, heartfelt conversations. I am Sadia Khan. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Immigrantly and leave us a nice review. Five star. Why not? Your support really makes a difference and recommending us to a friend could help us touch even more lives. So if today's episode resonates with you, be a catalyst for change and share the link with someone who could really benefit from this conversation. In today's episode, I am diving deep into the impact of storytelling and the incredible strength of collective action. And what better time to do it than during Latino Heritage Month as we celebrate the unyielding spirit of Latino empowerment. My today's guest is Brenda Gonzalez. She is the co-host of the podcast Tamarindo, which is, as she likes to call it, socially conscious podcast with a Latino vibe that covers everything from pop culture to community building. Brenda has been podcasting since 2016 and has expanded beyond just podcast work into the nonprofit world. Her co-host Anna Sheila Victorina was supposed to join us too, but unfortunately she wasn't feeling well and therefore had to excuse herself last minute. I wish Anna were here. I had some incredible questions for her. But you know what? I was able to ask Brenda a couple of questions I had for Anna. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And by the way, I was on Brenda's podcast a few months back. So if you want to hear what I had to say on their podcast, check it out on all streaming platforms. And let's get started. Brenda, I'm so excited to have you on Immigrantly. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm so great. I'm glad to be joining you this way. It's a beautiful day here in Los Angeles. How is it over there where you are? It is nice in New York as well. So yesterday it rained the whole day. So it was damp, dreary and sad. But today the sun is out and everything looks great. So yeah, it's another beautiful day in New York and I'm really hoping for fall to start now. I'm really looking forward to that. So tell me, Brenda, you and I did this before, right? But at that time, I was on your podcast. Correct. Yeah. So we're flipping the script here. <laughs> we are flipping the script. Now, I was listening to Tamarindo and you describe yourself as a political nerd. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. Talk to me about that. Yeah, my degrees are in political science, so officially I'm a political nerd. <laughs> and my interest in politics was because of my immigrant experience, because I entered college. And at the time, I think I was a liberal studies major. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. 
it was the first time that the fact that I was undocumented was a real problem because now I'm in college and I ended up going to a school that wasn't my first choice. All these things, all because of my immigration status. And in my first government class, I just realized how vital and how important it is to know the laws that shape everything. And so that's how I became a political nerd and was really involved since then. Well, I have volunteered on a number of campaigns, generally follow all the chatter when it comes to politics. So that's the background. That's why I am a political nerd. Now, you mentioned you were undocumented at the time. When did you come to the U.S. and why? I came when I was four years old and my family and I came to the U.S. because my brother was diagnosed with a terminal illness called muscular dystrophy. And it would require him to use a wheelchair. So my family knew that he would have a much better quality of life and opportunity here in the U.S. So my parents made the choice to leave their careers and their home that they had to just start fresh in a new country. They did have my aunt and uncle that were already in L.A., so that was very helpful to have someone help navigate how things work and all that. But that's the reason we came. So I was four, my brother was 10, and my parents were in their early 30s just starting new. Do you remember anything from that time? I do. I actually do. I very much remember being excited about the first time being on an airplane. I remember being excited to go to Disneyland. <laughs> this is a very vivid memory, but I also remember having grown up in, in Puebla, in Mexico, there isn't much diversity. So when I came to Los Angeles was the first time that I saw different little girls and little boys that they weren't all Mexican. <laughs> and I distinctly remember seeing a black little girl. She had her hair in braids and it looked so cute. And I made my mom go buy the berets and try to have my hair the same way. And it didn't quite work. These are some of the earliest memories that I have of coming to the U.S. It's so true. Anybody who comes from a more homogenous society, when we come to the U.S., it's the first time we are exposed to so many different racial identities, ethnic identities, people from different national origins, which is so beautiful, right? It's just this endearing quality about the U.S., which sometimes is unfortunately villainized, the diversity of it all. You talk about being undocumented when you were a kid. Can you talk a little bit about your journey from being undocumented? I assume you are documented now. I am now a citizen and a voter. <laughs> yeah. What was that journey like? Because a lot of times there is so much misconception or negativity around undocumented immigrants and their journeys. People really don't know the actual stories, but they hear something on TV or they hear some kind of dehumanization by a politician and they just internalize that information. So tell me your story. I'm really curious to know about what that journey looked like and what were some of the challenges along the way. When my parents were able to immigrate at the time, it was like the late 80s, they were able to obtain work permits, but there was never a promise of residency or citizenship, at least not immediately. So they had to renew work permits every year, just renew their work permits. Meanwhile, their children, <laughs> obviously we couldn't have work permits. We were just kids. We kept aging and aging and aging. Flash forward, I'm now in high school and my parents are still renewing work permits. 
and I don't have a path to citizenship. But my mother, scraping up a lot of money, was able to get a lawyer that was able to get her a residency. So then finally we had a potential path. You know, my mom was going to eventually be a citizen and eventually be able to make me a citizen as well. Even in the middle of that, I at least had some sort of status. I was probably like 20 years old. I mean, literally my official status was like non-deportable, not technically here. We're just going to look away. And so I ended up getting married. I got married very young. I was in love, of course, but I probably wouldn't have gotten married so soon if it wasn't for the urgency of becoming a citizen. Even though, you know, I think if I could have waited a little longer, I eventually would have had a path through my mom. But this sped things up a little bit. So that was the journey that I had. But I mean, there's such nuances and, and tiny things that make folks not eligible for that sort of pathway. For instance, I was just talking to a friend of mine who was consoling a woman who was heartbroken because her son, he's under DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival Program, which allows kids that were like me have some sort of protection. They are right. technically legally allowed to work and be here. But again, a Band-Aid, no path to citizenship. Well, this young man, he got a DUI and the consequences for him are just massive. He is no longer able to finish college. He potentially may not be eligible to get DACA again. I mean, his life is completely turned upside down. Those are some other scenarios, and it's just really precarious. Many people have been waiting a long time for a path to citizenship to be protected. Many people that were in the same situation that I was that maybe weren't able to become residents or citizens, oh, they're homeowners, they're business owners, they have teenage kids, and they still don't have a path. I mean, as you know. So yes, th these are some of the unfortunate realities of our broken immigration system. You're absolutely right, Brenda. Our immigration system is no doubt broken. But as a political nerd, can you recommend any resources, any information for people who do not understand America's immigration system and unfortunately play into stereotypes that a lot of politicians or people in the media sometimes use to dehumanize certain communities. As you're asking that, it makes me think like, I really can't give you anything to see the humanity in other human beings. If you don't see the humanity in other human beings, then I'm sorry for you. But I guess if you are willing to maybe accept that there's human beings around you that uh, don't have a certain piece of paper that protects them. The resource that I gave to my friend who told, shared with me this situation is to go to um, Chirla. This is C-H-I-R-L-A dot org is an organization here in L.A. And what I found on their website is that they have a 1-800 number for legal support. So in case anybody's also in a similar situation as this young man or any other sort of situation where you're needing some trustworthy legal advice, this is a great community-based organization to reach out to. I also used to work for an organization called Unidos US, so U-N-I-D-O-S, US.org, UnidosUS.org. They changed their name a few years ago, but they used to be called the National Council of La Raza. They are a over 50-year-old national organization based in Washington, D.C., but also as a network of over 300 community-based organizations across the country. They are also a fantastic resource that puts out many publications all the time. You can read reports on the income lost by women, Latinas, during the pandemic. Latinas lost 
millions of dollars during the pandemic. Many had to give up jobs and were still recovering. You can find reports like that. You can find reports on the lack of insurance that many, many immigrants face because of their immigration status. So th there's a lot of information at unidosus.org, but they're also doing a lot of great work. So th there's also some positive things. But I wish I could be more optimistic, but the um, lack of movement and progress to find a solution for the 11 million people in this country that are undocumented and the millions more who have family members that are undocumented is just absolutely tragic. You're absolutely right, Brenda. And yeah, you're right about lack of empathy. We cannot help people gain that. That's supposed to be an intrinsic quality in all humans, but sometimes I guess we as humans tend to suppress it for reasons that I don't understand. Coming back to your podcast, Brenda, I have been consuming episodes. Now, I had a question for Anna, and I don't know if you can answer this, but I was listening to an episode that you guys did on Tamarindo with sex therapist Janet Prito. Oh, okay, great. Well, I love what you, how, what you said about having the intention of having more pleasure in our lives. And that is my motto, less shame, more freedom. That's why yes. I started the sex therapy clinic in the first place, because, you know, as a Latina, so that's my, I'm Latina, I'm brown, I'm from Chicago, and I'm, I was raised Catholic, and we were not allowed to talk about sex because that was a bad thing, because God knew what you were thinking, and if you thought any kind of dirty thought, you were going to be in trouble. Yes. <laughs> it was a very fascinating conversation, and to be honest, especially for somebody like me who is trying to unpack shame and confusion associated with sexuality, as a lot of us do. And to own my sexual journey thus far, I was fascinated by that conversation. But what was rather intriguing to me is that a lot of times, and this is not just about that one conversation, it's about a lot of conversations. Sometimes the dominant narrative in a way, co-ops liberation movements, whatever that liberation movement looks like, right? So how do we create stronger narratives about certain topics while at the same time holding up space for people who are not part of the dominant narrative? So in this case, it would be folks who are asexual or who do not have the same kind of sexual journey that a lot of us may have, or in terms of politics that you're focused on, a lot of people may not agree with certain political issues that you and I agree with, and yet they may have their own path to political understanding. How do we hold spaces for them? As you were asking this question, what I was thinking about is what we try to do on Tamarindo. And what we do try to do is maybe we don't have the tools or the resources or the language to completely unpack what the dominant narrative has been, but we at least want to confront it and identify that there has been a dominant narrative for everything from sexuality to politics and everything in between. So that is often the lens that we apply 
with the topics that we choose for Tamarindo. And since we may not be the experts, we always love when we get to speak to folks that are experts, like in that case, a sex therapist. And we've had many different kinds of therapists on the show. So we, we do like to do our best to confront the dominant narrative. And what we often say is that on this podcast, we're often unlearning. We're learning and unlearning together. That's what ends up happening a lot is that we look back at where the dominant narrative has shaped our point of view or has been harmful. And we just try to first dismantle that. And then it's the larger project that we're all engaged in, in like, how do we build the new narrative, the more accurate narrative, the more inclusive narrative. And as we're working on this, I think there's often mistakes, there's learning, there's expanding it's an ongoing journey, and I'm sure that's a lot of what ends up happening as well on Immigrantly as we just meet and have all these wonderful conversations with people. It just expands our universe. That's sort of the approach that we take. I feel like Tamarindo and Immigrantly are so similar in so many ways. Our conversations are about learning and unlearning, and I'm actually curious to know, what are some of your personal learnings and unlearnings through Tamarindo? What did you learn or had to unlearn? Well, you know, I would say that I've always considered myself to be an ally, an ally of the LGBTQ community. I have many friends who are queer. I even volunteered for some time on a board called Honor Pack that raises money for LGBTQ and Latino candidates. But I think working really intimately and closely with somebody who is queer like Anashela and Luis before Anashela, and the type of conversations and the vulnerability that she shows through the conversations on the show and conversations with other queer folks, it's deepened my compassion and my understanding of what it might be like to operate in this world, exactly as we just talked about, as someone that is not within the dominant picture of what we, even though there's been so much tremendous progress in terms of accepting of LGBTQ folks, I still think that most stories are going to center heterosexual couple, Mm. even queer love stories in many ways just become a copy of the rom-coms that are of uh, opposite gendered couples. So I still think there's a huge journey that, that we all need to be a part of to deepen our compassion or understanding of what what it's like to be queer in this world and in a world that's increasingly dangerously unfriendly, especially in, in lots of places in the United States. So I would say that has been the biggest area in which I have expanded my learning. What about unlearning? I think the biggest unlearning has been around diet culture or the way we approach fitness and health and beauty. Because growing up in the 90s, growing up with the, you know, the Britney Spears of the world, There was so much pressure to have, you know, perfect abs, to be blonde, to be skinny, to show your midriff and a lot of self-hatred for not looking like that, for being short, for having big hips, for never developing breasts (laughs) and also assigning value to food like, oh, that's bad for you and that's good for you. So through conversations on Tamarindo, I've also learned how that culture has been so damaging to women and girls and all of society. So it's an ongoing unlearning 
on how to approach what we call healthy eating. Or instead of saying, let's burn calories, I like to now say, like, let's add movement into our lives or stop myself when I want to assign a moral value to food and then just enjoy food for what it is. So all of that, I think, has been an ongoing journey of unlearning. We all want our friends to be happy. But how far would you go to help? Introducing Tiny Huge Decisions. From Chalk Plus Blade and APM Studios, a new eight-part podcast series that follows longtime best friends, Mohsin and Dahlia, as they make a relationship-altering choice. Will she be the gestational surrogate for Mohsin and his husband? Eavesdrop and find out what choice they make with tiny, huge decisions available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Brenna, talk to me about adding movement. So I was on your website and it seems like you go on these nine hour long hikes. I was like, oh my gosh. So we used to live in Denver, Colorado, and my husband and I would go on these long hikes and we used to go to all these different national parks and it was a lot of fun. But nine hours, that's a long time. How do you do it? And I would say nine is my absolute max, but I've gone on 20 hour hikes and and I know after nine hours is when I'm like really questioning my choices (laughs) in life. But yeah, I mean, it all started because about four years ago, my husband and I and a couple other friends, we decided we want to hike Mount Whitney, which is the highest peak, I think, this part of the of the country. I made it, it might even be the U.S. I'm not really sure. And to train for that, we needed to hike a bunch of other peaks here in Southern California. And all of those hikes were... 10, 12, sometimes 20 hour hikes. And we wanted to be very conditioned to do Mount Whitney's because when you do Mount Whitney, you also have to get a permit. So you can't just like one day say, let's go do it. You really have to plan it. You get a permit. It's like a whole thing. And of course, after training and making sure we we had elevation training going on these 20 hour hikes, every time this happened twice in a row, like literally days before we would go on this hike, it would all get canceled because of fires, because of fire season in California. So that happened the first year. So we signed up the second year again, did all the training. And then again, the same thing happened. The same thing happened that it got canceled like days before because of fires. So the third time we scheduled it different time of the year, hoping we would avoid the fires. We trained, trained, trained. And then this time, this time I got COVID literally two days before. So I still haven't hiked Mount Whitney. I've trained a ton. And like the secret to these very long hikes is packing a lot of snacks taking a lot of breaks. And then after about nine hours of hanging out and ch- chatting with the same people, what I do is I pop in like several podcasts, <laughs> <laughs> making sure you've downloaded many podcasts. Then I can zone out and just listen to Immigrantly or whatever is on my ear pods. And that's how I do those long hikes. Oh my gosh, that's so incredible. I wish I could do nine hour long hikes, but I can't. Brenda, Talk to me about community building, because what I've noticed is your work is not limited to podcasting or storytelling through this audio medium, right? You are exploring advocacy, capacity building beyond that. 
it's a foray into the nonprofit world. And I was browsing on your website and I see so many interesting events. I see so many interesting conversations happening beyond podcast. Why do you think that is important? And how did that come about for you? Yeah, I mean, it all happened very organically and not not as intentional as it might appear because it all started with like, I'm a political nerd. I listen to political podcasts. I can have a political podcast. Let's go. Like, that's the journey. That's how the podcast started. But then as we grew an audience and grew a community and people saying, oh, my gosh, this conversation was so valuable to me. This was so helpful. That made us realize, OK, we, we're on to something that's valuable and that it really is truly building community online. And especially during the pandemic, I think we grew even more because people were in such need to connect with one another. And so we realized and observed that other podcasts do live events. And so we decided to dabble into that. So we started doing a couple of live Tamarindo podcast episodes. So basically, it's a facilitated conversation in front of an audience. We record it and, and that becomes an episode. So we've done a couple of those. And then Anna Shayla became part of the podcast in 2019. So she's been a huge instrumental part of the podcast. And what she was able to add that wasn't there previously is this um, idea of personal development or wellness or well-being, mindfulness, which is what her background is. And she also has a different company called Baskin Being. So she's a wellness entrepreneur. And, and so she had this wealth of information. So we started to incorporate that into the podcast. So every year for four years now, at the beginning of the year, we have an intention setting activity. It's been virtual during the pandemic, in person when we weren't in a pandemic. And we gather at the beginning of the year and talk about the value of setting intentions, walk people through what that means. Then we practice setting some intentions for the year. So that's been a uh, signature event that we've done. We've also around Hispanic Heritage Month, which is the time that we're in now. So every year around this time, we usually do a how to start a podcast workshop. So those have been sort of like the ongoing events, but we get to speak to such incredible people, including our now friend, Charlie Stover, who is a money coach. Uh, they are a non-binary formerly undocumented money coach. And so when they were on the show, they provided such wealth of information about money. And we know that that resonated with people. So now we're working with Charlie to have a cultivating financial liberation workshop. So yeah, we just kind of think about the topics that we talk about on the podcast and which of them have legs to do something a little bit beyond the audio medium. You know, I love it. It's from advocacy to action, which is so important because sometimes laying out those actionable items or laying down what people could do and how they could benefit from certain conversations is so important. Moving to something that I am really curious to know about. Now, you live in L.A. You've lived in L.A. your entire life, most of it. Talk to me about the city itself and how do you connect with the city in the context of building community there? How has the city treated you? What do you think of when you think of L.A.? I love L.A. This is where we first came to the U.S. We did come to Koreatown and then we lived in Park La Brea. My very early memories are definitely from L.A., but I mostly grew up in Orange County, which is not far. You know, it's like 30 minutes away. It's where Mickey Mouse lives, not very far from there. But I've been back in L.A. as an adult 
for about 12 years now. And I, I love Los Angeles. I think it's, it's such a beautiful place like New York in many ways in that it's so rich in diversity and so rich in inclusion compared to many other parts of this country. So I do feel like there's a, a lot of um, great places to meet community. And it could feel like a small town, even though L.A. is gigantic. Charlie, who I mentioned, who is a digital nomad, was living in the Philippines and Thailand and, and Mexico for a while. But they've been in L.A. for about four months. I ran into them <laughs> a couple times unplanned. So L.A. can feel like a small town. And I mean, this is going to be such niche content here. But there is a very specific type of music huh. <laughs> called drum and bass music, electronic music. And it's a very small community of people that know this music that's huge in the UK. It's sort of emerging in popularity here in L.A. But through my husband, because that's his world, he used to uh, DJ in that kind of music. There truly is a super small community that I see at many different music festivals. So you can find a small town in many places in L.A. That's the beauty of, of this city. Brenda talked to me about liberation, and this is circling back to where we started, right? Your conversations basically center around liberation. It's a through line for you. And I am curious to know, what was that moment when you felt most liberated in your life? I think it's starting to feel that way. <laughs> so I don't even know if I'm quite there. But other things that I've learned through working with Anna Sheila, when I met her, she had recently left her work in the tech world, probably high paying, fast paced work. And she realized that it wasn't fulfilling. And without really a perfect direction of where to go next, she gave up that life. And so it's very admirable since I've met her. She's created her own path, and whether it's working on Tamarindo, whether it's working on the, her wellness business, whether it's helping other people as a life coach, helping folks liberate from those capitalist constraints. <laughs> I mean, it's been really admirable to learn from her. For me, I was sort of pushed. <laughs> I was pushed out of these capitalist constraints during the pandemic and, and having to leave a job that was, their whole mission was to produce 50 concerts in the summer. Well, I took that job January 2020. So I ended up not having a job soon after. That time really allowed me to be more selective about what do I want to do next and how I want to spend my time. And that's why both Anna Shayla and I formalized Tamarindo and we make it as a, one of the vehicles in which we earn money while also doing good. And I also became a personal trainer because I love movement. So I, I really enjoyed doing that. And then I realized that my strengths through the podcast and, and others is around communication. So now I'm also a consultant for strategic communications for nonprofits. So this is the time because I've sort of crafted through little pieces here and there, the sort of liberating way I want to spend my time. So yeah, I would say I'm, I'm in the process. <laughs> Brenda, in the end, if you were to describe America in a word or a sentence, how would you do that? I would say, uh, this is the word that came to mind, it's just like in progress, America in progress. There is a lot of promise in the ideals that this country likes to talk about, but we're just in progress. We are in progress indeed. Where can people find your podcast? Is there a website they can go and check out what you guys are up to? The best place to find everything about us is to go to tamarindopodcast.com. 
And that's spelled T-A-M-A-R-I-N-D-O, then podcast.com. So that's where you all can find everything you need. We're on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast. And I do want to plug in a couple of things. So one is I've already talked about this a little bit, but with Charlie, we are having an event in Los Angeles. This is on October 5th at 6 p.m. And it's a celebration, really. We were saying, perreo your way to first-gen prosperity. So there's going to be dancing. There's going to be a fun and approachable way to talk about money and the stories that we tell ourselves about money and how we can confront those stories and we can cultivate financial liberation. So that's, again, October 5th. You can find the information on our website. It'll be in Highland Park. So if you're close to that part of LA, you'll be able to join that. But then I will invite folks to something else. The other beautiful thing about having a podcast is collaborating with other podcasters. So Tamarindo has been working with another great podcast called Ocupación, which is um, hosted by Delcy Sandoval. And Delcy and I together, we are co-hosting a retreat, a creative retreat. Our idea was to have it for podcasters, but it could be anybody. And in fact, most of the applicants do not have a podcast. So Sadia, this is your invitation as well. <laughs> and this is happening next year. It's so exciting. It's happening next year, February 15th through the 19th, which is during President's Day weekend, if you have that time off. And we are going to have four beautiful days in central Mexico. This is uh, in my hometown of Puebla, which is near Mexico City, at this gorgeous hotel. The hotel is, I'm most excited about the hotel. It's a wellness-centered hotel with yoga, meditation, health-centered food, great place. And then we're also going to have three excursions. Actually, I guess technically two, because one excursion is exploring Puebla, where we're going to stay. But we're also going to explore Cholula and Tepoztlan, which are two amazing, beautiful towns. One more little factoid, in, in Cholula has a, a pyramid that is the largest pyramid by volume in the world. And so we'll be exploring that pyramid in Cholula. This is amazing. You can get all the details for that also on our website. We're calling this Encuentro, which means finding ourselves. So Encuentro Retreat, February 15th through the 19th. All the information is at tamarindopodcast.com. Oh my gosh, Brenda, I can't wait to look into this. I may really join you guys there because this sounds like so much fun. Like, absolutely, guys. If you're in LA in October, go check the other event. And if you're interested in the February event, do sign up because I'm thinking I might be there too. This is so much fun. Yes, it would be amazing. Thank you, Brenda. This was so good. Yes, thank you so much. This was such a treat. I really appreciate it. Thank you. expecting Brenda Gonzalez and Anna Shayla and unfortunately Anna wasn't feeling well so she couldn't join us. Nevertheless this conversation was a lot of fun. Brenda definitely is somebody who brings so much energy and fun to conversations and you know what during the conversation what Brenda said really really stuck with me. The idea that no matter how much information we give people, how many resources we share with them, we cannot make people be more empathetic unless they choose to. So think about it. Why are people not empathetic towards certain communities? 
certain groups that are not like them or don't look like them aren't we all humans at the end of the day don't we all have same aspirations strengths weaknesses ideas fears so let's come together for a kinder more humane world this episode was produced by me sadia khan written by bobak afshari the editorial review was done by Shay Yu. Our editor for this episode is Paroma Chakravarti. Our theme music is done by Simon Hutchinson. Come back next week for another incredible conversation. In the meantime, take care and be kind to yourself.